We're delighted this morning to come on up have our guest speaker, Dr. Paul Koistra. Paul is not a stranger to this congregation. He formerly attended here in the past, and uh, we're glad he's back. He's been a, a pastor. He's been a seminary professor, uh, a seminary president um, to us, coordinator of Mission of the World for 20 years. 20 years. Um, and so we're so grateful for him and uh, his ministry and his faithfulness to the word and come and share. And he's a friend too. So, Yes, I attended this church for 16 years and uh, I have had a lot of jobs. My first wife who attended this church with me for 12 years, um, she once said, uh, yeah, my husband, he, he can't keep a job. And uh, so I moved around a bit, uh, but God has been good. Uh, goodness, you know, I, I realized that Richard and Susan and Bev, they were here when I was here. Um, and uh, I didn't think the music could get better, but it has, you know. Uh, that is great. And also, of course, it's a great privilege for me to preach here this morning because my children are here, my youngest and her husband, and um, they attend this church. So I hope I do well, you know, because I don't want them to think poorly of their father. That would not be uh, nice at all. <clears throat> now, if you will turn in your Bibles uh, to Second Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to preach on money today, uh, and that's uh, one of the most popular subjects uh, in the church, and uh, you hear sermons on, on money all the time because preachers just love to preach on money. No, that's a lie. Uh, people avoid the thing like the plague, which is sad, because God takes money very seriously. You see, God put us into a physical world, and he made us physical beings. The world is beautiful for a reason. God made it. And God makes only things that are beautiful. And our money is part of that, and our money plays a very important role in our relationship with God. I think it's one of Satan's tricks that he tries to keep money over here and spiritual things over here, and the twain shall never meet. Um, that's a way to keep us stunted in our relationship with God, stunted in our in our. Uh, Christian growth, stunted, stunted really um, in our spiritual life. And there is a story about two men that uh, they were shipwrecked and they landed on a desert island. And, and they looked around and there was only sand, there was nothing else. Uh, and one man began to yell, we're going to die, we're going to die. And the other man said, calm down, everything's going to be all right, we're not going to die the man said, but look, there's no food, there's no water, there's no shelter, we're going to die. The other man said, no, we're not going to die. You see, I make $3 million a year. And I tithe. Our preacher will find us. You know that the only time that I start with a joke in a sermon is when I'm preaching on money? <laughs> and there's a reason for that. Early on, when I went to Presbytery, you might not know this, 
but presbyteries are responsible to set or, or to review the salary of pastors in that presbytery. And if there's any change in a salary to a pastor, they're supposed to approve that. They never do. And nobody ever brings those reports. And whenever they have to talk about money and so on in a presbytery meeting, there's a lot of giggling. And they, they, they don't know what to do. They're, they're, they're embarrassed. Uh, that's why I start with a joke. Because that's sort of the way we, in, at least in the church, deal with money. It's not the way God deals with money. He takes it very seriously, and we'll, we'll see that in this text. But there are many other texts. It wasn't just this text. We could pick a many other texts where God would challenge us concerning our stewardship. Not because God needs the money, but because we need to give. Not because if we don't give... The church will dry up and ministry will dry up and so on. That will happen, of course, but that's not why God is really concerned about money. God really is concerned about your soul and about your relationship with him. And if you don't get that right, you can't get the relationship with God right. It's not possible because your money is too important to you. Is it not? Again, we live in a physical world because God made it and he made us physical beings and so that's a very important part of our relationship with him. So let's see then what God's word says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and following. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Let's pray. Father, we have just read your word. Now we want to study your word. We want you to speak to us through it. We do believe that this Bible that we have is so much more than just words on a page. This is your living word. You have given it to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, and the same Spirit that's present with us this morning now is able to take that word and drive it down into our hearts. That when we leave here, we're different than when we came. So we pray that and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe when you come to a missions conference, you don't expect somebody to preach on money. Maybe you think missions ought to be over here and money ought to be over here. Uh, and it feels that way because missions really feels like a spiritual activity. But when you start talking about money, it seems very secular. But it's not. I've just told you, God is the one who really invented money. And when it comes to missions, I can tell you that missions is a three-legged stool. You've got to have people that need to hear the gospel. Or you don't need missionaries. But you need missionaries 
that will go and tell them about the gospel. We'll introduce them to the Lord Jesus. So you need people that need to hear and you need people that will go. But you also need people that will support that work. That's the three-legged stool. You kick out any one of those legs and it falls over. And I can tell you that the support of missions is as important as the missionary going. It seems obvious, and yet we don't talk about it much like that, do we? When God calls us to be involved in missions, he calls our pocketbooks to be involved in missions as well. And, uh, you know, even Jesus had to raise support. Did you know that? Over in Luke, uh, and I love this passage, over in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, soon afterward he went throughout the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. But there were also women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. I love that. I mean, you got the, the 12 disciples there, but they're not supplying the needs for Jesus' ministry. They need support themselves. And you don't have a man like Nicodemus, who I think came to faith, and he would have been a wealthy man. And you don't have Zacchaeus, another man who the Bible says was a wealthy man. But you don't have him there. You've got these women. And I've got to believe that their means were even rather limited. Yet, they had been blessed by Jesus. And they were supplying his need. I really think it's like that because God always works through the weak. And God always works through the simple. And for that matter, God works through the poor, through the poor. And it doesn't surprise me that those that are supplying for Jesus' ministry would be in that category. But we see in that the importance, the importance of the three-legged stool. And if we don't have that third leg, the stool falls over. So the first thing I want you to see in our text is this. God's gifts are for his glory used in his kingdom work. In the first verse, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We are involved in, in this case, a great harvest. It is. One of the most exciting things in the world is that all over the world, people are coming to faith. By the way, do you realize that the church is actually growing, is not shrinking around the world? And there are more people today that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ than ever in history. Now, part of it is because there are more people on the planet than ever in history. We're, we're fast approaching 9 billion people. I can remember when it was 6 billion. I didn't think I'd ever see 7 billion. My goodness, we got 8 billion, and we're fast approaching 9 billion. But the church is keeping up. And, and the church is growing in places you wouldn't even believe, you know. Africa uh, is the fastest growing area in the world. Uh, and uh, the number of believers there is astronomical. And in 
uh, Latin America, we see the same thing. And the church is growing where they're persecuted, like in, in uh, China. And the church is, is growing in India. The church is growing because it's a great harvest. And here, the harvest is attached to our generosity, to our stewardship. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What does that mean? That means if you get involved in God's kingdom work with your stewardship, it's going to bless your soul. You're going to grow spiritually because of it, you see. And if you don't, in many ways, your, your soul is going to be stunted. There won't be that growth. The picture really is of a farmer that goes out and he spreads seed. And what it's talking about is the more seed you throw out, the more of a crop you harvest, right? And that's exactly what the text is saying here. The more we give generously, the more God is going to bless that giving. We're going to grow spiritually through that process. Just recently, um, I think I talked about this uh, either last night or the night before, uh, Sandy and I, my wife Sandy and I, we're, we're involved in a ministry, a Reform University ministry in Brown um, University. Now, Brown University is not a very spiritual place, I can tell you. It was at one time. It was a Christian college at one time, if you can believe that. I said yesterday that... The president, the first president of Brown wrote a biography on the first American missionary named Adoniram Judson. And when Adoniram Judson graduated from Brown, he was the number one student. He probably could have been the president himself. Um, but he decided instead that God was calling him um, to uh, the ministry. And uh, he did have quite a ministry in Burma. Um, but... Things aren't going spiritually so great in Brown today. And uh, I was mentoring this fellow for the last two years that graduated from seminary, and he was called this fall to go there as the pastor, the, uh, the Reform University pastor in Brown. And because I had been hel- helping him and, and, uh, uh, and we had developed this relationship, I, I, there was a need right there. And when you see a need, you got to respond. And so he asked me, if I could help them, uh, if we could give a, a regular gift to his ministry, and I thought we should do that. And uh, we've got a lot of other responsibilities on, so I said, this is what we can give. This year we can give this amount, and uh, frankly, no more. Um, I think in a couple of years we'll be able to do better, but right now, because God has challenged us in some other areas, uh, we've got to be careful here. So this is how much we'll give. And then, a month ago, he sent out a letter saying that he had a $10,000 challenge grant. If he could raise $10,000 for 2023 in this particular month, that uh, he, would, uh, he would get that $10,000. So, 10 for 10. Now, I thought, you know what? Um, maybe we ought to just uh, squeeze a little more out. And maybe we could help him. So I told my wife, why don't you uh, write him a check? Now, I will tell you, the check was equal to what we're giving him for the whole year. We doubled our giving. 
Now, why did we do that? Because the point is this, whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully also reap bountifully. Now, you know, if you do something like that and you get in trouble, you know, you can tighten things up at the end of the year and so on. But so far, and I'm 80, going on 81 years old, it's never happened to me yet. God continues to supply our need, and when we sow bountifully, He provides for that. Every time. I can tell you there's never been a time when we got to the end of the year and we had to pull in the reins. God gives us opportunities. Cast out the seed. Get involved. So the first thing is that we're involved through our pocketbooks in this great harvest of souls all around the world until Jesus comes again. But secondly, generosity is a gift of grace. And here you really have to go back to the chapter uh, before. And I would encourage you, by the way, as you think about your faith promise uh, that you're going to turn in next week, that you study chapters 8 and 9. Maybe you ought to read 8 and 9 every single day. And then at the end of your reading, say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do this year related to my faith promise? I actually wrote a devotional. It's a seven-day devotional that does that very thing through these two chapters. But in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the church of the Macedonia. Notice that? We want you to know. Let me put it this way. What he's saying is, you need to know. You need to know something about the Macedonians because... If the Macedonians get into your mind and into your heart, they're going to change you. What was it about the Macedonians? Well, 8 and 9 is all about God, about Paul asking the churches to contribute to a mission project that he had in Jerusalem. And these Macedonians had given, but how had they given? Well, if you look at verse 2, they've given out of extreme affliction and extreme poverty. How do you like that? I don't even know what that means. Giving out of extreme affliction and extreme poverty. And then verse 3, not only that, but they gave beyond their means. They gave beyond what they actually had. And then verse 4, that's the one I really like. They begged to give more. These people were strange. They were strange, and Paul says, you need to know the Macedonians because God is putting the Macedonians in the Bible to challenge you because the Macedonians are different than you. They're really struggling, and yet their generosity is beyond anything that we even imagined, anything that we had hoped for, and there's a reason for that. He goes on to say... um, In verse 5, they did this because they had first given themselves to Jesus and then they had given themselves to the ministry and it was a gift of grace in their life. And the lesson that he wants you to learn is in verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in love for you. Now those are all good things, aren't they? Wouldn't you like to excel in everything? especially faith, speech, knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you? Of course you would. 
But he's saying that so that you will also excel in the act of grace also. And what act is he talking about? The one you see in the life of the Macedonians. And otherwise he's saying, don't just excel in these things, but also excel in stewardship, also excel in generosity. And it is a gift of God's grace just as much as those things are. Do you see that? God's not telling you, buckle down. God's telling you, trust me. God is saying, let the Holy Spirit work in your life because stewardship only works, generosity only works when it is a gift of grace. When I do it through you, not when you try to do it by yourself. That's the point. So why then do so many people miss the joy of giving? Well, because we don't understand it. We don't understand that it's a gift of grace. We really and truly think that it is a, um, that it's a duty. And our text tells us in verse 7 of chapter 9, each one of you must give as he's made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't do it as a duty, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, we teach so many other things as aspects of grace, but when it comes to our generosity, when it comes to our stewardship, we almost always land on it as a duty. I mean, how many times have you at least thought, I've got to give 10% because that's what I'm responsible for. That's called a tithe, and I don't want God to get after me. He might even shut off the spigot if I don't give a tithe, so... I'm going to give a tithe. That's not the way God thinks. He's saying right there, if you give like that, it's dangerous. I don't want you to give out of compulsion. In fact, if you think you got to give that way, I think Paul would say you don't give at all. Seriously. I'm hoping you'd be very generous, but I'm telling you, if you've got to do it that way, I think it would harm you spiritually if you gave out of a sense of duty. There's no merit in our stewardship. It's an expression of joy because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. When it says here that God loves a cheerful giver, I used to think to myself, gosh, I've got to become cheerful in my giving. Now, I wonder how I can do that. Maybe if I just, you know, just try harder to be cheerful. Uh, Maybe that'll work. That's not what that text is talking about. Not at all. God is saying, I want you to be like me. I'm a cheerful giver. I have given everything that you see. And I've given it, not reluctantly, but out of the abundant love that appears between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, Jonathan Edwards used to teach that everything exists because of this abundant agape-type love. That's love that's always going out and never coming in. That kind of love was in within the Trinity, the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, the Father and the Son loving the Holy Spirit. When you've got that kind of love, what are you going to do? You're going to push it out. And so everything you see is an extension of that love. That's the kind of God that we worship. In the fall, I was out hiking up at our cottage, and uh, 
I like, I like this summer and I like the time when the leaves are on the trees, but I like it when the leaves are all gone too and you can see the trees and you can see their character. Every tree looks a little bit different and so on. And I was walking along and I could tell, well, there was some blackjack oaks there uh, and there was some white oaks, uh, there were some red oaks and black oaks, uh, chestnut oaks. Um, seriously, all those oaks because I could see the leaves. And then I thought, what a world God made. What a world God made. You know, God could have made a world with just one oak tree. He didn't have to make a bunch of oak trees. But this God, he delights in being abundant. Uh, he, he, he delights in being generous. And he creates a world where not only are there just a multitude of different oak trees, but then there are a lot of trees that aren't oaks, right? Don't you love that? My wife, she's an artist and thinks like an artist. And I hear her say every once in a while, isn't the world wonderful? God could have made a black and white world. Look at all the color. Isn't it beautiful? That's the kind of God that has saved us. That's the kind of God who came and was generous to the point of giving his own son on the cross. For us, the greatest act of generosity known in all of history. God Almighty coming in the flesh, born in a manger, suffering uh, under the oppression of uh, those he came, his own people, the Jewish people, and then the Roman people, and dying a horrible death for you and me. Generosity is beyond anything we can really grasp. And what God is saying in this text when he says, I want you to be a cheerful giver, he's saying, I want you to be like me. I want you to reflect what you have received from me. That is the motivation, and it's the only motivation we ought to have for um, our giving. You know, when I first went to... to, uh, Covenant Seminary, they had not done very well out visiting donors and so on. And there was a couple, really they were one of the major donors uh, at Covenant. They would send in a check every month. So I asked somebody, well, tell me about them. And they said, we don't know about them. So I thought, well, maybe I ought to go and visit them. So I got on a plane and went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Now, I'm going to tell you, I thought that I would be rolling up in a rental car in front of a rather... Uh, spacious and uh, uh, beautiful home. And I thought maybe in the driveway there would be a Mercedes or something like that. But it was a little, really small, white-framed house with an old Ford Fairlane in the parking, in in the driveway. I actually thought I must be in the wrong place. I checked to see, you know, it was the right address. And I went up and I rang the doorbell and there was this elderly couple there and this is the story she told me. She said, when I came to faith, I decided that God wanted me to give to the church and to, to, the, to the mission of the church. And, and uh, so I told my husband, who was not a believer, that I was going to start doing that. Now, they didn't have children. She had a job, he had a job. And so in a way, they had their own money and he said, okay, You can do that, but I'm not given to that crazy church. If you want to do that, go ahead. And then he piped up and he said, 
you know, I began to watch my wife and she was having so much fun giving. It was such a delight to her. Now I want you to hear this, that I became a believer. A wife led her husband to faith with her stewardship. Does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me, but it might surprise you. When we really reflect God in our stewardship, when we become cheerful givers, people can see it. It doesn't just change us, but it changes the way people see us. And then she piped up again and said, yeah, and then um, we were, had gotten a place where we were giving 20% of our income. And then we retired. And our income was cut in half, exactly in half. So I said to my husband, I guess we're going to have to give basically 10% of what we've been giving before. And he said, no, we'll just give 40%. And they were happy. Those are cheerful givers. Why? Because they have a God who's a cheerful giver, and he's captured their hearts. Don't you think that's the case? And that's really what I want you to hear. Now, I think this text is very practical. In verse 10, it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. What's that text saying? God gives to us so we can give. There's a purpose in God's generosity to us. And it is that we can be generous in God's kingdom work as well. I don't need to tell you that we may be the richest people that ever lived on the planet, ever in history. Do you think that God has been so generous to us so we can hoard it and keep it to ourselves? Of course not. The text says no. Doesn't the text not say, He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing? He gives to us generously so that we can give generously to ministry. And I want to challenge you right now because I'm going to tell you something. Lots of people are going to cut off, cut back in 2023 because they're afraid of a recession. I have somebody very important in my life who has got a job right now. Her job is uh, to work with a company that takes over the bookkeeping for churches so they don't have to have a church treasurer. Uh, and uh, they do all of that for you. And she told me on Wednesday... That what she has seen so far this year is that people are not giving like they were giving in 22, in 23. Isn't that funny? People get frightened and they turn off the spigot. That's not what this text is talking about. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but he who sows abundantly will have a supply and... God will multiply the seed. Now, I'm not telling you, this is not health and wealth uh, message. The more you give, the more God will give to you. That, that's not really it. But what it is saying is, trust God. Trust God. 
that he will allow you to be generous in your stewardship. You know, um, I guess it was about 98 or something like that. I, I would sit right over there in the third row, right over there. And uh, it was at a faith promise uh, service. Uh, Shelton Sanford came. And Shelton Sanford challenged us. He said, you know, many of you have already prayed about it. and You've got a number you want to give and so on. Maybe some of you even filled out your card already. And, uh, but I want you to think about giving more than you gave last year. So I looked over at Jan, my wife, and I said, what do you think? And she nodded her head, and I, I said, okay, write down a number. And I wrote down a number, too, and then we kind of compared our numbers. And um, her number was bigger than my number. And uh, you can't look cheap in front of your wife. <laughs> so we went with her number. I mean, this is very important, very important in my life, so... The next year, they had another preacher. Happened to be me. And I thought, if that Shelton Sanford can do that, I can do that. And so I got up there and I did the same thing. I challenged the congregation. I said, you might have a number there, but I'm going to challenge you to think about it. Maybe God wants you to give more. I really think he wants you to give more than last year, but he might even want you to give more than you already decided on for this year. So I want you to think about it. And if you really believe God, he wants you to do it, take a pen and cross through that number and put down a bigger number. What I forgot, now she's sitting out there by herself. <laughs> and after the service, she told me what number she put down. And it kind of took my breath away. But you know what? We never hurt. I just told her, you write out one-twelfth of that number every month and let's see what happens. And that has been the foundation of my stewardship ever since. We give more this year than we gave last year. We've been doing it now, and I just told you, I'm almost 81 years old. If you do that, <laughs> it gets to be a significant number. And what a blessing. And my wife and I, we pray over it. We pray over it. And then I give her control of the, of, of the process. You know why? Because she's far more benevolent than I am. And so far, the last three years, we have a number. It's more than last year. And then she gives more than the number. And we are not hurting. It's just a blessing. You see, I want you to be a cheerful giver. I want you to know the joy of giving. I want you to be happy about stewardship. I want you to get excited when they pass that plate on Sunday morning because giving is an important part of worship. All through the Bible it talks about it. You know, as you think about this, really pray about it this week. What are you going to give for faith promise this year? I do pray that God will help you to come to the number he wants you to give. I pray that you will think about giving more than you gave last year. Forget the idea of recession. If things get tight, you can always tighten up. God doesn't done anybody. So you don't have to worry about that. Luther said this. Luther said, if I can convert a pocketbook, I can convert a soul. I read that and I thought... That man is mixed up. 
No, you, you first got to be saved and then you do with your stewardship, right? The idea that if I can convert a pocketbook, I can convert a soul. But then I read the Bible. And Jesus said something very much like that, did he not? In Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, that's what we've been talking about. You've got to take your stewardship seriously because it's part of your spiritual life. The things that you have are gifts from God to be used in God's ministry. Giving is an act of grace just as much as coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is an act of grace. And they go together. So pray about it this week and let God speak to you. And let stewardship become part of the fun you have as a Christian. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we do uh, thank you. We thank you for the way in which you've been so generous to us. Of course, the greatest generosity is the fact that you gave us your son. Without him and without his saving grace, where would we be? We would be lost. Our lives would be nothing. But the richness and the fullness we have comes because you have poured out your grace to us by pouring out his blood to cover our sin. But then every area of life is to be covered by that blood. And our stewardship is part of it. And we don't want that to be an area that stunts our spiritual life and our spiritual growth, that it impacts negatively our relationship with you. We want to reflect your generosity. We want to be cheerful givers like you are. So we do pray that you will help us, especially this week as we think about our faith promise. Father, in this congregation, let this be the best and the most generous faith promise we've ever had. We pray in Christ's name, amen.